And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. And see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You know, the reality is what takes place here is a changing of structure. And I think sometimes we take this as a great historical story, but this is far more than that. This was the world being turned upside down by Jesus Christ. Every generation tells a story of how the world is really upside down. And not how we would necessarily expect it. For example, Dorothy thought she was seeing Oz, but actually she was just seeing Kansas from a very different perspective. At the very end of the movie or the show, for me it was the movie because I wasn't really much of reading books and all that. Uh, but at the end of the movie, she discovers that many of the same people that she saw in her vision of Oz were actually, they were just people in Kansas. Uh, you had Alice who went down a rabbit hole and basically saw the world upside down. Uh, more recently, in a couple of movies, you had The Matrix. There was a guy named Morpheus who offers a, another guy, Neo, a blue pill or a red pill. One who would reveal, if he took one pill, it would basically wake him up from a dream, or he could stay in his dream world if he took the other pill, um, basically... Uh, avoiding reality, his world would be upside down. Um, several years ago, 1990, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in a movie that was called Total Recall. And I will tell you, it's probably the worst movie I have ever seen in my life. Um, it's hard for me to imagine, by the way, as I was preparing for this, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger has been in 50 movies. And my question is, how poor are we that we need to see him 50 times? I mean, it is, it is, he is not a great actor, but he's been very successful. Here's the point. In that movie, Total Recall, at the end of the movie, you're left wondering whether he is in his uh, true reality or if he's in a dream state because it's a back and forth thing. Uh, there was another movie not that long ago that came out in, entitled Inception and basically left you with that same idea. Are we living in reality or is this just a dream? Well, Luke 2 provides a similar affront to reality. On the one hand, there is Caesar, the Roman imp- emperor, the son of a supposedly divine Julius Caesar who appears in full power, purpose, and whose interpretation of the world will dictate his subject's future. He utters a word and things begin to happen. But this is not God's reality. And it is not the reality that Luke is unfolding in this passage. It's like Luke is offering Theophilus, who he's writing to in the book of Luke and again in the book of Acts, his gospel. It's as if he's offering him one of those red pills like Morpheus had offered to Neo, where he is inviting them to wake up and to realize that things are not truly as they seem. Around us today are contemporary Caesars, men and women of power, prestige, and authority, who believe that the sun rises and sets on their decisions and their fortunes. Some of them are merely great in their own eyes, legends in their own minds. Others are great throughout the whole world where we look at them and we all think, wow, that's a man of great power, a woman of great power. We can be those contemporary Caesars at times, even in our own lives. Yet Caesar is not really in charge of whether she or he lives in Rome or the White House. They are not in charge. Whether they have a Senate seat, whether they have a manager sign on their door, whether they reside in their own home, or the Caesar simply occupies the space between our ears. We are never truly in control, even though we may think that we are. God is the one who is in control. It is not human power that changes the world. It is God's love. And in Christ, God's love has changed the world. I'm going to look at at least three different ways today that God's love changes the world through this story of Christ coming. The first thing I want you to see today is that love changes the world and gives us power. Caesar really looks powerful in this story. When you think about it, he looks like someone who has great authority. And he's only mentioned one time. It's at the very beginning. Uh, Apparently there is a census that is about to be taken. But he is a significant person. He looks very powerful in this story. Caesar speaks a word and people begin to move. A decree comes out from Caesar Augustus and all of the world immediately jumps to attention. One of those who jumped was... Joseph and Mary, by the way. This man is willing to travel with his very, very pregnant wife, soon to be wife, excuse me, to abide by the powerful word of Caesar Augustus. And who can blame him? When you think about it, everybody else is jumping also. They knew the warning that accompanied Caesar's decree do this or you will be punished. Everyone must go and be registered, everyone must 
be counted. The census decree would have sounded something like this. Glory to the most august Caesar and peace on earth to those whom God Augustus is well pleased. Now, recognize we do not see Augustus Caesar as God, but he would have viewed himself in that way. He was a man of great authority and power, and therefore he would want everyone else to know that he saw himself as God, and therefore they should see him as God as well. But did you hear the warning in that decree? Peace will come to those with whom Caesar Augustus is pleased. So don't displease him. Didn't you hear about the census? You need to go be counted. But in the face of this reality comes another announcement. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This announcement follows the announcement of the birth of the real king, the Messiah, Jesus. Caesar Augustus thinks he is displaying power, yet the shepherds see a true display of majesty. It's ironic as one occurs from a palace, yet the one with true power, true majesty and glory takes place in a manger because there's not even a nice place for him to be born. Caesar Augustus thinks he is measuring his power across the entire Roman Empire. Yet God is displaying his power across the heavens. Caesar makes his decree and his people jump. But little does he know that God is arranging the pieces for a very specific birth. 21st century Caesars may still have a form of power, but God has given a power of humility and perspective to those who would follow Jesus Christ. Caesar could create a law for taxation, but only God could set the spirit free from the law of sin and death. There is a huge difference between Caesar and his decree and the decree that comes out that a Messiah, that a Savior was being born. Without question, the love of God and the birth of Jesus did change the world. It turned everything upside down. Now, how do I know that? Because in those days, I want you to think about this. In those days, a powerless woman went on a pilgrimage for Caesar with Jesus in her womb. Now, we go on a pilgrimage for Jesus with his spirit in our hearts. Do you understand the difference? There has always been a pilgrimage for Mary. She went on a pilgrimage for Caesar. But for thousands of years since then, we have been on a pilgrimage for Jesus. To slightly paraphrase Andy Stanley, he said this, People now name their daughters Mary and their dogs Caesar. That is a world that has been turned upside down. There was a time that everyone wanted to be like Caesar. Everyone wanted to be great and powerful. Everybody wanted the authority. Yet now we name our dog Caesar. And we name our children Mary. That is a world that has been turned upside down because of the love of Jesus Christ coming to this world. 
The second thing that I want you to see today is that love changes the world and gives us pride and purpose. Caesar thought that he was doing a work that would last, at least for a little while. Luke tells us that this was the first census that was taken while Serenius or Quirinius, depending on which version of scripture you're looking at, this was the first census that was taken while he was the governor of Syria. Evidently, if this was the first, there is the suggestion there will be a second, there will be a third, there will be others. In fact, there probably were by the time this was recorded. As the empire reached beyond its borders, as it grew, more numbers needed to be taken, not just so they could know how many people were there. Actually, in the King James Version, it says all the world should be taxed. That's the real reason why they wanted to know. They wanted to know how many people were there because they wanted to know how much money they were going to get. This census was all about building themselves up. And as the kingdom, as the empire continued to grow, they wanted to make sure they got all their tax money. No doubt there would have been some pride in those who were performing this important work of the empire, maybe even some bonuses. You know, uh, often we look to Christmas as a season where maybe we'll get a bonus from our employer. I would imagine this was a time where maybe the census takers were wanting to do their job very efficiently in hopes that they would be reimbursed for doing such a good job. But these are not the ones who are highlighted in our story. Instead, it is the lowest of the social ladder. It is the shepherds. They receive an announcement and proceed to investigate. Now, first of all, as they receive the announcement, there had to be a sense of fear and awe. What in the world is going on? This doesn't happen like this often. It's not often that an angel appears to people out in the middle of nowhere and just begins to speak to them. But as this angel speaks, he gives them an incredible message. He tells them that there is a Savior that is being born in Bethlehem and basically that this Messiah, this Savior, would come for the entire world. And then, of course, the angels leave. I don't know about you, but if I'm one of those shepherds at that moment in time, my thought is not, well, that was really cool. My thought is, let's go see this thing that the angels have just talked about. And that's exactly what they do. They leave their place with their sheep. And I don't know if they brought their sheep with them. Actually, in the images that we often see of the, uh, the nativity story, we see sheep and donkeys and all that stuff. I don't know if the shepherds brought theirs with them. It doesn't really say. But it says they immediately felt the need to go and to see this thing that had been foretold to them. And they go. And as they go, they are the ones who are changed. Luke tells us that after their encounter with Jesus, that they returned. Returned to where? They returned to their fields, to their work. On the one hand, in light of the Lord, their work had not changed. They were still shepherds. They still had the same title. They still had a job to do. But on the other hand, everything was different. Luke doesn't simply tell us that they returned, but they returned praising and glorifying God. On the surface, nothing had changed, but for them, everything had changed. See, they still had a job to do, but now they did it with a hope that they didn't have before. They still had a job to do, but they now understood that there was more to this life than what they had experienced up until this point. Why? Because the love of God had come to them, and the love of God has come to you and to me. 
As the shepherds returned, they glorified God and they proclaimed to everybody who would listen the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that he had come for them. In effect, these shepherds become the first missionaries, claiming that the Messiah had come, that God was doing something fantastic, that a Savior had been born in Bethlehem. And they would proclaim their story as loudly and as often as possible. I want you to understand that they went back to work, but they went back to work with pride and purpose. I will tell you that every one of us will have to go back to work unless you're retired and then you have to go back home. But as you go, don't go as one who is simply fulfilling obligations and responsibilities. Go as one who knows the love that Jesus Christ offered to you and his son. Do you recognize how much love is there for you that God would send a savior to us and he would give us the chance to be forgiven and redeemed? That savior, he would come and be crucified for us. Jesus coming was all about the crucifixion. It wasn't about the birth. It happened through the birth, but it was all about the crucifixion. Everything he did pointed to his love for us. The love of God in the birth of Jesus changed the world. How do I know? Because in those days, the decree of Caesar went out to all the world so that he could be more efficient in taking from the people. In these days, the decree of God goes out into all the world so that we can partake in him. You catch the difference? Caesar sent out a decree so that he could take more efficiently. Jesus sent out a a decree, and today we get to receive him. Love has changed the world and has given us purpose. The third thing I want you to catch, and the final thing is this, love changes the world and allows us to ponder. Caesar's decree will give him strategic insight into the whole empire. The whole realm will have been counted and the details arranged to enable Caesar to continue his dictatorship effectively, not only to make sure he gets all of the tax money, but even to help against warring nations. When you have a nation that is very large and strong, to be honest with you, that's not the nation I want to pick on. I want to pick on the one that's small and weak, and I have a chance to overcome them. Caesar wanted people to know how big and strong the Roman Empire was, because it seemed as though that would keep war from coming upon them. But the previous points and previous sermons in this series show that war has not just begun. It has been completed. Mary's song that the exalted be brought low, that the mighty arm of the Lord had brought down the arrogant. That would have been in the message that I did in the second service last week and then last Sunday night as well. Basically, God had turned things around already through Jesus. The judgment was in pride and purpose has been given to the lowly and power has been given to the powerless. And now Mary is allowed to ponder. Perhaps the most powerless person in this account is Mary. And she is given the opportunity to reflect, to make sense of everything that she has seen. Perhaps the most scandalous person in this story is given purpose to come to her own conclusion. She treasures these events and ponders them. It is not Caesar's pondering that matters It is Mary's pondering. 
And now the message is given to us. We are entrusted with the story of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ, who is the pure light of the love of God, it is up to us to ponder, to make sense of our world, to see that only Christ has the ability to bring redemption to humanity. I will tell you that in many ways, Mary ought to mirror us. And what I mean by that is, first of all, Mary was the one who was chosen to bear the Son of God. And today, we have the opportunity now to bear the Spirit of God to the world around us. We have people who need to know that God is real. Mary made it clear that God is real through her Son, Jesus Christ. And in the same way, that Spirit of God now dwells in us. And we have the privilege of bearing that Spirit to the world around us. I will tell you that to bear God's Spirit... It ought to be a whole lot more than just the words that we speak. It ought to be the way that we love. The way God loved through Jesus brought hope and purpose and pride to a group of shepherds who would have been outcast to everybody else. They were grateful for shepherds because they performed a task. They did a job, but nobody wanted to be friends with shepherds. They were, they were outcasts. Yet God gave them a place of prominence and purpose. God showed incredible love and grace to those shepherds. You had a young girl named Mary who was, in many people's eyes, not what she measure, not, didn't measure up to what she should have been. This was a young lady who got pregnant outside of marriage. And surely that means she's been unfaithful. She's done something that she should not have done. Yet God took this young girl and made her something of great value. I want to challenge you today as you bear the spirit of God, as you bear the love that God offers to be one who brings hope and peace and joy and love to the world around you by pondering, by looking at the needs of others and saying, what can I do to change their world, to make a difference for them? Many years ago, uh, one of the times that I really believe God was speaking to me and even preparing me for ministry, I went to an event. It was uh, Pace 86, which was a Wesleyan youth event. Uh, it took place in uh, Illinois uh, at the University of Illinois. And as the theme of that conference, it still speaks to my heart. It was simply this. My mission is to walk his way to change my world. I will tell you this, that that ought to be the mission of every single one of us today. Because if the love of God flows out of us, it will change the world around us. That's what God calls us to do. I will tell you, Mary becomes one of the most influential people in human history, simply because she brought the Savior into the world. How will you change the world that God has given you? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, oh, we recognize that there are people all around us that need your intervention. They need your miraculous touch. There are many today who simply need to know that there is a Savior. There is one who will provide and one who cares about their hurts. Lord, I pray today that you would empower us 
to be your hands and feet, to love on the broken in our community, and to truly display your spirit to the world around us. But we do celebrate the Christmas holidays. But more than anything, we celebrate the fact that a Savior has come for us. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to offer that same hope that we have received to those around us who so desperately need it. I pray that you would use us to change the world in which we live. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to, to not just sit back and wait for you to bring the broken to us. But I even pray that you would give us such a hunger to change our world that we would go out and to seek those who are lost, seek those who are broken, to bring them the hope that only you can bring. Lord, I pray that you would then equip us to truly be your instruments. Lord, I pray that this world would be changed not because of how great we are, but because we choose to be obedient to the one who is greater than all of the things that we see around us today. Use us to change this world today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Next Sunday is Christmas. Uh, I do, if you guys can come back next Sunday, we would love to have you for Christmas Day. 11 o'clock only though. Uh, so please come and join us. Thank you so much for being with us today and go in peace.